بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. All right, we're continuing along in our discussion. I should preface a little bit, uh, just uh, apologies to, to you all if things seem like they got really heated between me and Malahat, then apologies to Malahat if, if uh, my tone was inappropriate. Uh, he and I are literally old, old, old friends. And so we tend to be a little bit more frank with each other than what you all might be used to. But uh, reaffirming the point that all of you are free to, to raise your questions, share your thoughts, and and let's enjoy and try to make the max of these last four or so days of, of Ramadan, inshallah. Having said that, <clears throat> let us jump right in. We are looking at this passage uh, about those who, who argue, and we spoke about submission and such, and let's pull this back. Once again, Nod, let me know you can see the, the Quran on your screen. Okay. So, You were right here. Okay, so if they argue with you, say, I have submitted myself to Allah, and so did those who follow me, and say to those who have been given the book, and to the ummi, the ummiyin, meaning the people who have not received revelation, do you submit? If they submit, they will be on the right path, yet if they turn back, you have only to convey the message. Allah is ever watchful over his servants. Now, in speaking about those people who are turning away, I 21 then says, those who reject the ayahs of Allah and they slay the prophets unjustly and they slay those people who bid justice. And then it says, well, <laughs> this is scary language. Well, give them good news of a painful torment. So first I'd like us to take a look at the last part of this ayah. And then we'll try to make, we'll try to uh, discuss the first part of the ayah. Give them good news of a painful torment. Try to make sense of this language. Good news. What's taking place here? I mean, wouldn't it be give them warning of a painful torment? Uh, yeah, brother. Sarcasm. Martin. I think it's sarcasm, right? <laughs> so rather than sarcasm, I would say taunting. Okay. is haunting them. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Um, I, I sort of read it as, um, you know, the, the, the punishment comes as part of justice. And so yeah. the, the good news part of it is that you, you sort of reap what you sow. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, I didn't read it as taunting. I read it as like, Hey, this is what you got. Like, yeah. this is what you earned. You earned this. Okay. Any other thoughts? Also, also, my thing might be just a lens rather than a uh, an actual reading. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, part of the point of of our engagement, like the whole uh, central point of the whole class, is is the engagement with the text, reflecting. 
So we're not passing any fatwas that this is the correct meaning or that's the incorrect meaning, but it's more engagement. Uh, Leith. Uh, could we read it as, so like these people who reject the verses of Allah slay the prophets and slay those people who bid justice, for them a painful punishment would be a form of good news? In uh, the uh, what do you think in terms of the Arabic? Fabashirhum is literally, you know, you give them good news. And now the hum could possibly be referring to believers, you know, uh, in the context of the ayah, it seems as though it would probably be referring to, you know, these people who are doing these horrible things. But again, it's the same point that, that I keep raising, hold, it on, hold on to it as a thesis in the back of your mind. And as you go further in your journey through the text, you know, see, see if it works. We have, you know, uh, give them good news of, of a horrendous torment multiple times uh, throughout the text. Uh, the ayah itself, when did it come to the prophet, peace be upon him? So all of this is coming a little bit after the uh, Battle of Badr. And so this is in Medina. This is, this is uh, after al-Baqarah and then uh, after, uh, and after the Battle of Badr. Uh, uh, so Dr. Malahat, how, how would that change the answer? How would that affect the answer? So let's say we said it was in Makkah. What do you think? Yeah, I think that uh, that the the hujja has been been said properly on those people that you know you have to have like complete the the debate and argument. Then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is giving that. That's why I, I'm just curious about it that you know the Makkah period is over. Yeah, this, this is after the the Madni. This is part of the Madni period because in mm-hmm. Makkah period most of the language used for uh, you know peace and harmony and so forth. So. Mm-hmm. So, having looked at the second half, <clears throat> uh, can you gather anything that might be common in the first part of the ayah? So, one wrong practice is rejecting the ayahs of Allah. Another is slaying the prophets unjustly. Another is slaying the people who bid justice. Uh, if we were to look at a personality type or an attitude of what could possibly be common among these three. Because obviously there, there are different acts of rejection. So Asim says, is there a commonality between these ayahs that say good news of horrible torment? Are they all madani? Uh, that's a good question. Most likely, yes, but I'd have to literally go through one by one and look. Because uh, uh, another one I'm remembering, I believe, is in Surah Tawbah or Anfal. Those are also madani, but I'll have to remember where else. But any thoughts? Tosi, were you about to speak? Yeah, it's um, some some thoughts that come in, like you know, there's the ungratefulness and 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 disbelief in ayat of Allah, but also these other ones are about kital and taking away people's rights, taking pe- away people's life, and it seems maybe Bashir here. Uh, it doesn't seem out of sorts. It doesn't seem, you know, um, uh, like uh, hyperbole in that way. You know, it seems okay. like your, yeah, your, your, your uh, desserts. You know, your what for these things that you do. Okay. Okay. I I did have a question really quick. Does yeah. Bashara always mean like literally a good news? 
I mean, uh, or does it, it just also mean news? Like we're giving you certain news, no value on good or bad. All, all of it uh, seems to be in in the same universe of of something that is positive, right? Or something that is a benefit. So bashar, what's bashar? Like a uh... basically like a an upright person. Right, right like a yeah, Basha, yeah. yeah. Well, like a man generally, right now. Mm-hmm. And and so so that seems to be the common element. So yeah, so Mubashara and all these things uh, have this common element of what seems to be related to positivity. Uh, Leith, were you about to speak? No, I was just thinking out loud. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Your lips while you're speaking the way I move my lips when I'm reading. Okay, okay, very good. So, um, checking the comments, uh, are, don't you see, don't you think, is in Madani more categorical, but of limited knowledge, sure. How many of the prophets were mentioned in the Quran were martyrs? And he described how they were martyred. So, Isa alayhi salam, the belief was that he was martyred, but then the Quran is saying he was not. Yahya, I don't know if it's mentioned in the Quran itself. I'm splitting, you know, again, fasting brain, but... Uh, uh, Yahya is often believed to have been uh, uh, killed, and in fact, if you if you go to Topkapi Palace, uh, they have an exhibit which is literally said to be his arm bones, and then it is said that in the in the masjid in Damascus that they have his head. Uh, I best about the authenticity of those things, and then good news for the believers who see these as unjust just acts in life. There will be consequences in the hereafter. Yeah, perhaps Ashella also. So, why would someone kill a prophet? Or no, here, let's just start from the first one. Why, if we were to speak rationally or emotionally, why would someone reject the eyes of Allah? Looking through either our own lens or through, you know, just some sort of universal possible lens. Yeah, awesome. Um, To sort of in, be able to enjoy their dunya okay so so what you're saying is they don't want to give up enjoying their dunya because the because the ayahs would would perhaps from their perspective restrict them from doing so uh yeah, some food. yeah i mean I, I think part of it is that even if it's minimal effort there's still effort in mm-hmm. following this following the quran right Sure. And so they'll start rejecting because if that, that effort, you know, you're awake 16 hours a day, let's say, they want to enjoy all 16 of those hours. So I guess at its core, then greed, right? Greed, love of dunya, love of self. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, late. Um, yeah. So just a question. So is, I mean, this brings up a point that I've wondered about. So when it asks, like, like, is there a, a is there a just way to kill a prophet? Is there an implication there that there's a just way or a reason to kill a prophet? Uh, uh, this is something that I often wonder uh, when I'm reading these ayahs because there's a similar ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah. And I'm understanding that in the context of killing in general, the question is, is there a haq in killing? So I don't know that there would be a haq, a, a proper way a rightful way in killing a prophet in any capacity, meaning I don't know that we can even think of an example of a prophet doing wrong, you know, uh, but killing itself, you know, the little haq is something that comes up over and over again. 
you know. So for example, someone given the death penalty, you know, assuming the whole trial and everything is done properly, that would be, oh, shall I look at the tiny baby? Um, that would be uh, an acceptable slaughter. Okay, so, so some of the points here, uh, it makes them feel bad about themselves. Yeah, uh, scripture is often calling people out. Absolutely vested self-interest uh, uh, would also be a reason, uh, especially for the latter two questions we're about to get to. And then likewise, the same point uh, for challenging power structure uh, ways in uh, is accumulated harm ways, harm ways, yeah. And no one likes their point there. No one likes people to point out their faults and mistakes. Yeah, sure. So uh, if we were to identify top reasons for why the Quraysh was opposing the Prophet, peace be upon him, what would you put in that list? Because remember, they, uh, uh, they did eventually decide that they had to kill the Prophet. Okay, so the forefathers' power. Uh, Dr. Kazi? Uh, I would say the same, the same reason as Shaitan, that I'm better than him. Okay, so uh, I could include that. Cool. Uh, Shaitan's reason is I'm better than uh, Adam, alayhi salam. Mm -hmm. The same thing is with Quraysh, the, the, uh, the fear of losing their perceived uh, primordial uh, overlordship over... Um, over others, in this case, uh, in Trackland, the Banu Maya principally, uh, over the Banu Hashim. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, that was that was definitely Abu Jahl's uh, criticism. Uh, Iqbal, uh, changing the status quo or social disorder. Mm -hmm. So, so one thing is nice is that it seems as just about everyone here has graduated from Sunday school Islam, where Sunday school Islam we teach that uh, the reason the Quraysh fought the Prophet peace be upon him was because of idol worship. Uh, whereas it seems more often when we dig deeper that it seems to be things like uh, promotion of the status quo, which keeps the Quraysh on top, uh, and, um, and then at the individual level, avoiding any obligations to change. Asim. Um, I, have, I have two things. One of them is that this conversation kind of brings up another question, which is, were there any oppressors that are uh, named in the Quran, and wouldn't it be then anti-human nature for them to then embrace Islam after they're called out by name in the text? So in terms of people's actual names, um, I don't recall. But then we do have a whole surah dedicated to Abu Lahab, right? Yeah. And, and so one of the points made, you know, within, within our lens that Abu Lahab could have easily refuted the entire project of the Prophet, peace be upon him, by becoming Muslim, which, according to our understanding, he didn't even come close. Okay, and, and the, the other question is, um, wouldn't, would part of why they didn't, why they would reject is, would part of it be that they, um, they don't want to acknowledge that there's something bigger than themselves, and they're a massing of wealth? I mean, that's, that if we look uh, at Surah Yusuf, which the Prophet seems to have received coming home from Taif, and the complaint that the uh, the brothers of Yusuf salam give, which is you know why does why does our father love him more than us when we're bigger and stronger, right? And so 
if we apply that to the Quraysh and their treatment of the Prophet, peace be upon him, yeah, perhaps. I mean, this is definitely one of Rumi's readings when he talks about the battles that uh, the Quraysh felt that they should have just won because they're so much more powerful. They couldn't conceive of anybody more powerful, you know, at least in their domain. I don't know that they felt the same way, for example, about the Roman army or the Persian army, but at least they seem to have or convinced themselves or convinced each other that they have God on their side because of, of the event of the elephant. So there is probably some, some feeling of invincibility or, or superiority here. Uh, Dr. Malahats. So if I just want to take us for a journey for, you know, the Quran is coming and those Tabbat Yada, all those surahs are coming yeah. front of their eyes, right? And, and we know that those people of the book, even before the Quraysh, are very smart people. Mm-hmm. Is why why their mindset is not going to be getting impacted, and they are getting more agony and more anger rather than getting with the with some you know intellectual way to get into the dialogue or messaging you know to get into that uh, discussion to resolve that Islam and why why Islam is is good for them mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Kind of um, I'm just thinking out loud I mean yeah. So, I mean, if we think of the Quraysh as composed of people of different popu- of different personalities, right? We have, you know, we have Abu Jahl, we have his personality, but then we also have Utbah. And Utbah was much more of a dove, while Abu Jahl was much more of a hawk, right? And Utbah's argument was what? You know, let's let him go. And if he, if... Uh, if he conquers the Arabs, then it's our victory. And if the Arabs get rid of him, then it's, you know, then we're, we're relieved of him. You know, I think you're also taking a step further. Didn't, you know, didn't the Quraysh, why didn't the Quraysh at least try to reason through this? Uh, it seems that all the Quraysh who did that eventually became Muslim. You know, uh, uh, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but I think that majority of them is came came in after the Fatah Makkah. So yeah. they just surrender, you know, into the power. Yeah, Expert but the, the, the point being that in the in the in the first part, those who I think were were doing what you suggest, you know, they wound up becoming Muslim. You know, even who is it? Was it Tufail, who's not from the Quraysh, he was from outside. Who, who, when the Quraysh warned him, okay, don't listen to what he says, he says, well, I'm, I have a brain, I can figure this out for myself. And then he listens to the Quran and bam, he becomes Muslim. So, okay, so why would people, if there's a different reason for why people would slaughter prophets, why would people kill the people of justice? Same answer? What do you think? Looking at this ayah. Yasin. I mean, I, I think the nature of oppressors is to kill people who are trying to achieve justice, right? And so if we combine all three of these with the thesis that there's a common personality here that is... Uh, resisting revelation is going so far as to 
kill prophets or to try to kill prophets, you know, as well as, uh, what's the word, uh, even willing to kill the people of justice. If that's the same personality type, then the common element here is that these are people of power or these are people who, who are supporting power, right? Or the minions of the people who are supporting power or the minions of the people of power. And if that's the case, then it especially follows why it says give them good news, why this taunting, because that's an even bigger exertion of power. That if you are so powerful and so driven by your desire for power, yeah, uh, Abdullah, exactly, will to power, although I think Abdullah might be referring to Nietzsche. If you're, if you're so driven by power doing this, well, here's good news for you, that Allah is exerting even more power above you. And we also have an insight on how to speak uh, uh, to people of arrogance. So what are the different ways in the Quran that, that uh, people of power are directly spoken to? So one ayahs are ayahs like this. But for example, how are Moses, peace be upon him, how is, how is he being prescribed to speak to Pharaoh? Softly, I'm in a soft yeah. tone, yeah, gentle. Yeah, he's uh, he's being advised to speak softly to, to um, to the Pharaoh, who literally regards himself as God. And then we have the ayahs against Abu Lahab that we just mentioned, where Abu Lahab is not only being told basically to go to hell, he's being he's it's he's being told your whole life is a waste. So can we? Make sense of the contrast? Why not speak gently to Abu Lahab? What do you think? Or why not speak forcefully to the Pharaoh? Yeah, awesome. Um, what's there to be gained by Abu Lahab's favor? Well, for his own sake, that he becomes Muslim. And then if we add right. in terms of social dynamics, he's the, he's the keeper of the keys of the Kaaba. And, and thus he's one of the elite of the Quraysh there would be possible influence that other people like dominoes would also become Muslim too right but I think uh, I think the difference is in the the benefit of like the benefit of kindness from Pharaoh is much greater than the benefit of kindness from Abu Lahab right? what's the benefit of, of kindness from Pharaoh I mean, in, in theory, if you're kind to him and it's well received, he'll, uh, you know, free the slaves. Yeah. Right. And, and like it, I mean, the the kindness thing assumes it's well received. Yeah. Right. At least for me. And if uh, if that's the case, then uh, yeah, then then the, the slaves get freed and they get to go go off right. and. Uh, whereas with Abu Lahab, yeah, it has consequences, but it's, they're not as severe, okay. perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, Sadia. Um, in terms of Pharaoh, um, he raised uh, Prophet Musa, so he had he was a father figure for him. Okay. Um, and so, because there is a lot of emphasis on you know, talking to your parents, 
softly, gently. So there is there is a lot of regard for that. And okay. if Musa were very, was very um, harsh on him, it would seem like he was disregarding everything that Pharaoh did for him. Yeah. And uh, so, um, so I think that uh, probably that psychology of being um, a caretaker or a parent who did everything and gave a lot of love um, is probably there uh, too. Uh, I'm not so sure about why not speak gently to Abu Lahab, but mm -hmm. because he was a relative too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That was going to be one of my, my pushbacks. Yeah, yeah, he was a relative too. So I'm, I'm still trying to figure out why, but for Pharaoh, that's what comes to my mind. Okay. Does it change if the Pharaoh that Musa, peace be upon him, is talking to is not the Pharaoh who raised him, but the one who's raised sort of as a brother? What do you think? Oh, really? Well, I mean, I'm saying, you know, uh, hypothetically. Uh, otherwise, he would have been really old by the time Musa, peace be upon him, is calling him. Mm. Okay, well, think about it, inshallah. Okay. Uh, Darkazi. Uh, a couple of points. One is uh, maybe it's the difference in the magnitude of power and a recognition of that uh, and the real life implications because uh, Abu's, Abu Lahab's access to power is nowhere near uh, in the same league as the magnitude that uh, Pharaoh has. That's, uh, that's number one. Number two is... Uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't think uh, the relationship really bears much into it because uh, bear in mind, uh, Abu Lahab had offered his protection to the Prophet after the death of Abu Talib against his uh, uh, fellow Qurayshis. And, uh, and was he that did done so out of, uh, was that done Asabiya. out of? Yeah, it was, was, done, out was it done out of uh, Asabiya, meaning group loyalty, or was it done out of generosity or is it no, done no, no. it was it was done pumping. out of a uh, group loyalty because yeah. uh, uh, the prophet sallallahu was uh, a hashimi and abu lahab is a hashimi and that mm -hmm. overrode his personal disinclination towards the prophet sallallahu mm -hmm. it is only when he could find a, a strong justification in terms of uh, uh, perceived insult to his father which would be the grandfather of the rasul sallallahu that he withdraws and mm -hmm. uh, uh, his protection. So um, I, I think uh, uh, the simple answer is the a recognition of the magnitude of uh, uh, of the power. Okay. Okay. Uh, late. Um, I'm just wondering. So, like, instead of contrasting Pharaoh and uh, Abu Lahab, could we just contrast the situations and say so? In, in the case of Moses, Moses is the one speaking to Pharaoh, whereas in is that Allah is speaking. And so there's this benefit of having a prophet in between kind of the, the oppressor and Allah. Mm -hmm. so, so it could be an advice, not on how to speak to Pharaoh, but a caution to Moses, peace be upon him, whose personality might default to be speaking very, very firmly like the way he spoke when he came back from 40 nights and, you know, he grabs, he grabs Harun, you know, like this, 
uh, when he sees that his people have gone astray. So it could have been a caution to the Musa al-Islam. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see, uh, Mohsen Ansari. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it may have been due to uh, the stage at which, uh, you know, this was this command was being given right to, to Prophet Moses. Uh, it was really one of his first interactions with, with this particular pharaoh, so he had to be, uh, you know, a little bit more softer in his approach. Uh, versus for for Abdullah, uh, this was really towards the end, and he had really been, uh, you know, he had been given this message multiple times. He knew what it was. His everybody else uh, in his own particular clan, I think uh, the Banu Hashim had already accepted the message. Maybe there were a few outliers, uh, but for the most part, he was the the, the one resisting. And really, he was, you know, very, very, you know, if you think about the tribal ties, yes, there's the Quraysh, but this was his his uncle right from the very clan. And the, this was towards, toward the, almost towards the end of the, the Makkan period, I think maybe even uh, when uh, the prophet was in exile. Uh, I can't, I can't, maybe at least, about, you know, uh, towards the, the, the latter part. Yes, Surah Lahab, yeah. Uh, Surah Lahab is almost at the very beginning. Uh, it's at the okay, okay. Uh, but your point is not incorrect because the Prophet, peace be upon him, had already invited all the uncles over for dinner a couple right. times. So they had received the message privately. Um, but now this is the Prophet now for the first time speaking publicly. So Abu Lahab, for example, had already heard the message. So in that aspect, your, 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 point, is still, your point is still sound. Uh, let's see, uh, Tawseef, and then Salman, and then Malahat, and then Sadia. I think my point was made by a few, but um, well, what I'm thinking is, it could it also be, uh, well, you just said it was quite early. So um, I was thinking that, you know, there's those stories of the really atrocious things that uh, Abu Lahab did to the Prophet on them, like um, where he tossed the goat entrails or whatever uh, upon yeah, Abu Jahl, but yeah, keep going. Oh, was it Abu Jahl? I mean, I'm sure Abu Lahab was probably around applauding okay. it if he himself was not a part of it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, um, okay. So I was, I, I, that may be the difference between Abu Lahab and Fir'aun in this instance is that there was some animosity that, and the things, the words that were exchanged or deeds that were done um, to try to humiliate, degrade the prophet, whereas Musa al-Islam had not encountered that. I mean, eventually, uh, like, Allah did send pestilence and all sorts of things upon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can be consistent then with, with Mosin's point that this could be the first step of the call that uh, that Moses, peace be upon him, does with, with the Pharaoh. But then the message starts getting more and more firm. Yeah. Uh, where were we? I think uh, Salman and then Malahat and Sadia. Hello, Salakum. Can you hear me, guys? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was driving, so I, I didn't know if you can hear me. So uh, my point is, I think Mohsen already uh, touched base on that, that it may be that the initial, uh, they were the initial soft uh, kind of uh, messaging to uh, Pharaoh, uh, but uh, and uh, with uh, uh, when it comes to uh, Abu Lahab, uh, I truly think that uh, this is that this message from Allah was so strong towards Abu Lahab because Pharaoh 
in the, as you were saying initially he did not hurt uh, prophet moses on a personal level as a matter of fact prophet moses uh, grew up in that family whether the same pharaoh or the father of the uh, you know pharaoh but he belonged to that family but i think why allah really condemned uh, abu lahab was that as soon as prophet muhammad started to uh, privately convey the message and then coming out he really hurt prophet muhammad very quickly on a very very personal level by um, uh, making his son divorce the two daughters of prophet muhammad and and he really went after prophet muhammad really very fast and i think that's why allah condemned him in such a strong words him and his wife as a matter of fact both um uh, rather than so so i think this this there is a lot of difference when it comes to how how abu lahab reacted to the message and how pharaoh reacted to the message and how how initially things went in both directions so this is what i feel um mm -hmm. uh, just comes to my mind so i don't yeah, know wallah yeah, yeah thank you for that uh dr malahat Yeah, I think the, some points are covered. Uh, the one thing I just want to mention, which comes to my mind, and um, I just recall that you know, Doctor Sir Ahmed also touched upon that. That you know, that tribal, um, tribal society, and then uh, Musa is not not in the same same tribal relationship as to Firon. Mm -hmm. So that's the one difference. And then um, collectively, Abu Lahab and his wife. came after muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam right after from the first message of the first you know the the dinner or the the food serving and the message conveyed to them they actually hold up the position on the other side that the pharaoh actually go through the whole steps of you know kind of demise the message or discourage the message of musa and try to to make amends between so so those are the few points comes to the comes to who who's uh, i'm sorry who's trying to make amends i mean there are some discussions um, you know between the pharaoh and musa mm -hmm. um that you know he says that you know you can back off from your message you don't have to do it you just raise in my home and all those those things those discussions happen mm -hmm. and he also used his wife asia radhiyallahu that you know that uh, right. uh, you convey to the message and so i think that's there's and some downplay of the message and the the last thing is that you know that um, the impact of firon is on the larger level right on the whole state level uh, the abu lahab is 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 very personal animosity against the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam okay uh sadia um so yeah i mean i wanted to say that um uh, I think because Pharaoh was the king and uh he could get Musa killed right away if he was harsh or he didn't like it. So he didn't have a lot of control over how things roll. Um uh Pharaoh had immense power and so he had to be cautious um uh on how he speaks to him to not you know not really make him so angry that everything goes down the drain mm -hmm. uh versus abu lahab their tribal structure didn't allow for that to happen so he had mm -hmm. a much less influence in mm -hmm. in in that way um he couldn't just go ahead and you know do something there had to be some type of you know on a, um maybe like a you know mm -hmm. 
he had to come with the tribal mm -hmm. philosophy and mentality. So I think that being a king, also, you know, Musab has already made that point, And I also wanted to refer to that, that when Hazrat Ibrahim was, you know, told to speak gently to Nimrud, because he was also a king, he could do whatever he wanted to do. And so everything will, would have, you know, gone down, down the drain he couldn't have done anything. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also a difference uh, between, and plus if, if one, that one person, that one king had accepted the message, then it meant that the whole Egypt or the whole nation of Nimrud would have accepted the message mm -hmm. because of the influence. And so I guess in comparison, Abu Lahab doesn't really come that close. Mm -hmm. This is, this, oh is a, or the, well, this is a common uh, instruction on how to speak to kings or how to speak to tyrants. Right. That if you are speaking aggressively to tyrants and uh, uh, the tyrant has nothing killed. stopping them from wiping down, not just killing you, but killing all of your people right, right. down there. Right, right. And so that could be also why um, he's being instructed to speak softly to Pharaoh. Because imagine, so let's replace Pharaoh with some hypothetical person. Oh, I don't know, let's say Donald Trump. And if you're speaking obnoxiously to him, is he going to respond by saying, oh, I'm sorry? You know, or is he going to respond by trying to pass some policies, wiping out all of your people? Okay. And likewise for Obama. Uh, Darkazi and then uh, Mahan. There's... Uh... I mean, uh, those concepts uh, that you just referred to are fine. The only issue is how uh, how applicable they can be, because uh, there are there is no clear delineation of uh, of how it could be applicable to one's own personal life and dealings. Okay, that was but, literally uh, just the most one of the most general sentences I can imagine. Could you specify okay. it in more detail? Okay, the the thing is, okay, uh, uh, the. Uh, the magnitude of uh, of uh, tyranny, number one. Number two. Uh, okay, that, that's that, that's not a sentence. Okay. okay. Uh, the thing about uh, okay, Pharaoh is uh, has power, and uh, and uh, Abu Lahab is uh, a little bit more circumscribed in that exercise. I uh, I mean I. I I would say that, that could be valid, but more than that, if you, I think it has more applicability if you just personalize it and limit it to their uh, individuals' uh, levels. Uh, Pharaoh being an outsider and, uh, and and not really having any strong kinship ties as opposed to uh, Abu Lahab with the Prophet Wasallam. Uh, there is being uh, a room is being made for him to possibly get to know Musa salam better and uh, and uh, and convert. Whereas in terms of Abu Lahab, it could be read as um, you already know this guy. You already know this person, Muhammad salam. Mm -hmm. His two daughters are married to your two sons. How much more can you possibly want to know about him before accepting him? So uh, this could be, as uh, Malaha said, the, uh, the culmination of, uh, of completion of the argument against uh, Abu Lahab and saying, you know, you're incorrigible, whereas some mm -hmm. room is being left for, for Pharaoh. That that okay. 
um, does the the fact that uh, that the prophet is publicly saying this to Abu Lahab in front of everybody mm-hmm. change anything? No, again, it's the same thing. Uh, uh, this is basically a reflection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that, you know, this guy is done. He's done for. Not, nothing you can do or, uh, or say is going, to, is going to make any difference. Mm-hmm. And the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is basically uh, reflecting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's judgment on him. Whereas in the case of Pharaoh, that finality of judgment has not been passed uh, on Pharaoh. Uh, uh, you could be, it could be read as that finality of judgment has not been passed on on Firaun. especially again where the words al-an now mm-hmm. you say this meaning there was some room before so uh i mean everything you're saying i mean also seems consistent with mo- what most other people are saying but i'm still not settled on the fact that the message that if uh if abu lahab was supposed to be condemned um what is the point or benefit by him being so publicly condemned to the point that he is now condemned publicly forever. But we'll come back to you. Um, let's see. Dr. Mahan. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if um, this helps, but the occasion for revelation, which was um, when the prophet was commanded to uh, warn his closest relatives. Um, and he summoned them and he said, were I to tell you, that the enemy is going to attack you in the morning or in the evening, would you not believe me? And so they said, of course, because, you know, you never lie. And then he said, well, I'm telling you that I am a warner and that a punishment is coming. And at that point, Abu Lahab responded, may your hands perish this day. Is this why you have summoned us all here? And then God revealed, the five verses of this surah that made the hands of Abu Lahab perish. So it was kind of a, a response or rebuke to Abu Lahab for what he had said um, to the Prophet. Uh, this well, is, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I just want to say one more thing. It's it's on a it's on a it's on a it's on a related topic, or I would say unrelated topic. A topic related to that saying, uh, to this occasion for revelation, which is that it's really interesting to me how the prophet used his own ethos. He centered his own ethos, his own character, and not the message when he first appealed um, or brought it to his relatives. So in simple language, you're saying it's interesting that the prophet is speaking about himself himself like what was what was centered there was his own honesty and that was the authority that he invoked um when he made his call first so how important that is um in this whole process of of prophethood um i I thought it was really interesting the thing you said about it being a public statement Mm -hmm. um Speaking harshly to power or powerful people in public is also a statement of confidence, right? Because the more to a powerful person, the higher the stakes are for you. 
So and that's so not necessarily confidence. That could be recklessness. It could be recklessness, but if this is a command coming from Allah, then I mean, if it's a command, then yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, right. But so, so I, I think the implication there is uh, go demonstrate confidence to this powerful person because uh, often that kind of confidence gets powerful people to back down. Think so? I'm with yeah. you. I'm with you up till the very last line. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think th that line is, is potentially debatable, but I think that um, a, you know, people in power have more to lose than the rest of us. Sure. But... And so if, if, I, if I say something with some confidence, the, uh, the, the uh, like, though, I think they respond better to confidence than to me I would suggest and again this is uh, just me thinking out loud oh. go ahead oh, you were saying something else oh I was going to say I'm, I'm using uh, meekness as the opposite of confidence purpose yeah, yeah fair enough yeah. I would suggest that even if uh, I don't think power will, will relent to confidence except that power will potentially relent to the threat of greater power meaning for example Top pulls you over as being unfair. If you talk in confidence uh, to the cop, uh, don't know if that's going to change anything unless you whip out a card, you know, that hints, you know, that you're connected to somebody very powerful. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, right. that's, a, that's a valid point. So, yeah, and it was just the last part that I, that I was uh, arguing with. Uh, Malahat. Totally. Yeah, I, I just want to just point you out one thing, Omar, that if you can just look into the Musab's last two messages, I think that that made me thinking that, you know, is the the art of convey the message to the people in power and art of the convey the message to in a tribal society or the, the people on the same level as you are is going to be different in the history of the prophethood it just, just came to my mind after reading Musab's messages. Yeah, uh, I mean, rest assured, Musab and everyone else, I am looking at the, the, the points on, on the right. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll come to that. Because the follow-up question I'm going to ask if we have time um, is, well, I'll hold off on the question. Uh, we'll go to Sadia and then, and then Dr. Mahan. I think one of the uh, things, um, I was just thinking that uh, there is an adab of talking to the prophet too. So every time somebody would not talk uh, with proper other, they would get scolded by Allah. I guess there are some other verses too, if I'm not mistaken, which came down. Um, so it, because he spoke with such bad manners with the prophet, so I guess that was also a part of it. So maybe, uh, side learning point is that hey watch your words watch your tone and watch your manners when you're talking to the prophet so, so that'd be a, that could be akin to i think the point dr mahan mentioned that uh abu lahab already went on the attack you know mm. may your hands perish and then he's being immediately rebuked you know right well sorry you have more 
And uh, yeah, and also that, you know, Pharaoh also thought of himself as a god, you know. So if you are introducing another god to a god, of course, it's not going to go well. <laughs> so, so, so that was a very tricky situation right there. Mm-hmm. So you had to be, you know, so kind of teaching us the way you communicate in certain situations, you know, keep in mind the person you're talking to, where they're coming from, their personality, you know, the surroundings and everything kind of like, it's a communications lesson right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'd be akin to the the question that, that Dr. Malahat is raising about the different contexts, whether you're talking to a leader right. or a lay person. Yeah. Right. Dr. Mahan. Yeah. You know, the other thing maybe um, that the Pharaoh is really an, uh, uh, where a, a person in whom power is concentrated. But the um, Abu Lahab here is not really a leader or being addressed as a leader, but rather as a bully. And so uh, the other difference is that in, in the case of the Pharaoh, the Quran is telling Musa, God is telling Musa alayhi salam, you know, to adopt a certain kind of um, uh, attitude when he talks to the Fir'aun. But here, it's not the prophet who's talking to Abu Lahab. It's like God is directly addressing him mm-hmm. uh, in revelation. So mm-hmm. the prophet doesn't really have a choice. Mm-hmm. It's not the prophet saying this. It's mm-hmm. like God has responded on his behalf. That's getting to the point, Leith, you were making that, uh, you know, here it's literally the words of Allah as opposed to the prophet speaking. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tawfif. It also have to do with the fact that they're about that point in the mission, Musa al-Islam was going to Fir'aun to also, yes, you know, you're not God, but also free my people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he had a responsibility to speak in a certain way because he had all these others he was going to free. Um, and it wasn't at that point with the Rasulullah yet. It was a different point in the mission. So... So this is leading into uh, another important point that I don't think we've discussed as much, which is what is the goal in each of these moments? The one goal is that the person you're speaking to would have become Muslim or it's too late. So they're being denounced completely. But in the case of Musa, part of his goal is to free his people. Right. And so he has to be very strategic in terms of how he's speaking to the Pharaoh. I mean, it's one thing just to say, okay, you're a liar, you're not God. But the consequence is going to be that all of Musa's people are going to get slaughtered. Which, I mean, the Pharaoh had already illustrated that based on a dream interpretation, he's willing to slaughter half the population. And so, so Musa, you know, peace be upon him, had to walk a very careful walk. And in the case of, of the prophet, peace be upon him, at that point in the story, if Abu Lahab is done, then the prophet is still, uh, peace be upon him, still speaking to the rest of of Mecca and Arabia, calling them to to the message. And so then this goes back to to the point, uh, to the question that that Dr. Malahat raised, that uh, when you are speaking to people who are hostile, because that's a common element here, right? That there's the hostility, and when you're speaking to power, then strategy 
uh, is at least as important as anything else. And so, for example, think of any of today's modern tyrants. You know, it, we might you know feel really powerful about condemning them on on social media and such. And most of those tweets and posts are are by and large irrelevant, um, I would suggest. But if you were in a face-to-face -face situation, which would be most effective in reaching whatever your goals are, whether it's the liberation of your people, to stop some sort of tyranny, to get some accord going, uh, you know, we have to, we'd have to address that carefully. Now, I don't know that I'll ever be in a position where I'm gonna be talking to a head of state. And so some of this is theoretical for me, at least in terms of, you know, how do you talk to Pharaoh versus Abu Lahab? But then if we apply it to local people, local people will also be following, for example, the leaders of their churches. And, and so here in Orland Park, you know, when the Orland Park Prayer Center was being formed, people were spreading around flyers uh, uh, suggesting that this is uh, going to be a terrorist factory. And then these flyers literally got traced back to the pastor of a local Baptist church here. How would you suggest talking to that pastor? Or remember my interfaith story from the other day. You know, how would we would we talk to that person gently or very, very forcefully? What do you think? So this is not a person who has military power but does have a following. What do you think? Yeah, awesome. Um I'd say gently, at least at first. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the reason for that is because, uh, A, yes, they're a leader, but B, they also hold sway over other community members and that could severely uh, impact your, um, your standing in the community if they, if they just, turn a deaf ear to it because you're being assertive. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts? And so put yourself as uh, an Orlando Park Muslim who's part of this process. Another example would be up in Morton Grove and, and a whole bunch of other motions here. I have a comment, um, yes. but Where, uh, voice coming not from? necessarily on the oh, yes. Orland. This is Stephanie calling yes. in. Um, not necessarily on your Orland Park example, but sure. on um, the Pharaoh and Abu Lahab, I think we also can take the audience as a factor mm -hmm. that, um, you know, Allah knows that these guys are never gonna change. So part of the story of Musa al-Islam is that he's not only speaking to Pharaoh and trying to convince him, all those people who were in the court and witnessing this are the audience as well. Um, and so, you know, when he's uh, conveying the message, he's doing it in such a moral high ground way that it's, even if it doesn't convince Firaun, it com it's compelling to the audience or some people in the audience to follow him. Um, and I think we have to think a little bit more about the Abu Lahab uh, example, but similarly um, uh, for the people of the time, you know, they would have witnessed that Abu Lahab, you know, was so 
vehemently against the Prophet um, and then to see this very, you know, harsh rebuke come from Allah may have been not just for Abu Lahab but uh, teach a lesson to others. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this point of the audience in both cases is 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 very valid for all the people who are also hearing it. Uh, a point you've reminded me that I didn't raise was the fact that, okay, this is in the Quran. So it's not just recalling a moment in history, but it's also an advice to the prophet, peace be upon him. And the question would be, when would that have applied? Right, we could look that up in terms of the occasion of revelation and such. Okay, uh, good discussion, Marshall. So what was the overall question? The overall question is, how do we talk to people who are hostile? And we started from the perspective of just within the ayah itself, you have people who are rejecting the ayahs, you have people who are killing the prophets, you have people, peace be upon them, you have people who are, um, who are killing the people of justice. And, and so part of that discussion was that, okay, this is, if there's a common element among all three of these, these are people who are resisting change and asserting power. And, and so they were then being responded to by one who has more power, who has all the power. And then from there, the second part of the conversation was then, all right, well, when we get into these particular examples, we find the Quran, why do we go this way for the Pharaoh? Why do we go that way for, for Abu Lahab? In all these points that you all raised, uh, I think fundamentally what's going on, we're looking at the context of the situation, we're looking at the strategy, we're looking at what can be aimed, attained, what cannot be attained. And then the last part was, was um, what, uh, what do we do in terms of, of our local issues rather than looking at all this from a theoretical perspective. So Musab is asking, can speaking badly be a bad thing because Hazrat Yahya conveyed the message softly and he got martyred for it? And so, so again, my point is not, um, uh, uh, is it a good thing or a bad thing? The key point that I'm trying to draw our attention to is that it's all strategy. What can be aimed, what can be attained uh, in terms of how, how we speak to particular people. And so it's some people, they need to hear firmness and other people need to hear gentleness and there's wisdom involved in how you speak to whomever. And, and context would, would raise the question of how much power or authority you have. So for example, to really make this uh, a completely different situation is that sometimes with parents of students, I'll speak gently. And sometimes with the parents of students, I'll speak very firmly, you know, and, and, and then likewise with students, it'll be more often leaning towards gentleness, but sometimes with students, it's often, sometimes when they need to hear bluntness, they'll hear bluntness and such. The idea being, what is the strategy? What is the goal? Anyways, having said that, we will stop here, inshallah. We have, what, three more days left, inshallah? And so uh, we'll get to the, the next ayah, inshallah, tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell you all and a good discussion again. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.